morning. <laughs> we just had too much fun with that. Um, so, so blessed to be part of a community where, where pastors get to have fun. So I know a lot of pastors that don't have fun. Um, we're glad that you're with us. Uh, I'm Dan Meyer, in case you don't know me. Uh, I get to, get to share this morning. Play the word passion. Um, we've been on this journey of, of faith with friends, um, kind of spinning off of words with friends, um, and just kind of seeing what it means to be a biblical community, what it means to be a Christ follower, what it means to live out lives that are, that are being obedient to Christ, that are experienced the freedom that is in Christ, um, and being a blessing to the people around us. So this morning, uh, we're talking about passion as we continue our journey through 1 Peter. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open up to 1 Peter. Uh, chapter 3, we're going to be in. The, the scriptures are also going to be on the screen. Uh, they're also on the front of your fridge fold, and that's in the New Living Translation. That's what we use here just for ease of understanding um, as we're talking on, on our Sunday gatherings. So um, 1 Peter is written by, by Peter. Um, one of the disciples, later one of the, uh, one of the apostles. And Peter is one of those voices um, that, I, that I really appreciate. Um, he's kind of like, to me, he's kind of like, he kind of echoes my grandfather. He's kind of like a grandpa to me. Um, I read Peter and I kind of hear the same things over and over and over again. Anybody got a grandpa like this? Um, but, but at the same time, like I love, I love that voice. Every single time I, I get to see my grandfather uh, who lives down in Sarasota, he always has this monologue for me. And it always incorporates these kinds of points. Hey, God wants to do miracles in your life. Stir up your faith. God wants to, God wants to do awesome things through you. And he talks about perplexities. That's one of his favorite words, I think. He talks about perplexities, about how the world's very complicated and, and there's a lot of confusion in the world and you really have to focus in on the truth. You really gotta find it. And he talks about, um, he tells me he's proud of me. I'm proud of you for, the, for letting God use you and for, and for being part of, of God's kingdom and, and, and loving God. I'm, I'm so proud of you. And then he always ends with, I know you know all of these things. But I'm going to tell you anyway, probably the next time I see you and you're going to hear, you know, but, but Peter is kind of that voice uh, in this particular passage of scripture. You're going to hear a, a lot of things that are going to echo uh, Mark's first message on, on hope um, and Eric's message last week on, on follows. Um, and there's a lot of similarities and, and Peter just keeps building. He keeps saying the same thing in ever so slightly different ways and, and growing and building. Um, but this morning, um, we're going to talk about passion. We need voices like Peter's. We need voices that remind us. We need uh, voices in our lives and in our communities and in our families. We need people that, that are grasping deep spiritual truths and are willing to share them with us, even if it offends our pride, right? Oh, I already know that. You don't need to tell me that. No, no, you need to listen. <laughs> you, you, need to, you need to hear these truths. You need, need to absorb them so that when you get... In the, in the trial, and when you get squeezed, you ooze the love of God. That is what God wants for us. And when we, when we have these people in our lives that are surrounding and speaking to us, then, then we really become 
uh, more of who God designed us to be. We are spiritual beings in physical bodies, okay? That's, that's the premise. Not we have a body and, and there's a spirit in, somewhere in there too. No, we're spiritual beings who happen to be encapsulated in flesh. And if our, our ears only hear voices that are echoing our own thoughts, voices that only reinforce our own ideology, if, we, if we're able to dismiss people relationally because their perspective is different than ours, if our pride gets stirred up when people speak truth to us, then one of the dangers that we're going to face is that our view of the world, our view of God, is going to be incredibly myopic. It's going to have just a very singular angle, and we're never going to be able to step into the fullness of God's design because we're only focused on what we can see. And this is true regardless of your age. It doesn't matter if you're, if you're 14 or, or 41 or 87. Like these things, we, we have to all be listening to these deep spiritual truths and engaging them. I'm really thankful for some of these voices God has put in my life, like my grandfather or, or, or like my daughter, six-year-old JL. Sometimes, you know, she just speaks these, these powerful truths, you know. Her, her view on the world is so open and so unhindered and so filled with passion. Or the time that I get to spend with the senior high students, you know, challenging them in faith and listening to how they're living out their faith and just, they teach me. That's, that's, that's it, they, they teach me how to, how to engage faith in a more pure way. We have to be open to these things. We have to stir up these passions. We have to have people that are, that are outside of our peer group that are able to speak into our lives. Peter was a man of passion. You remember some of, uh, some of, of, of Peter's life, you know, little bits and pieces. Um, he was one of the very first people to be called by Jesus. And immediately he, he dropped his lifestyle. He dropped his, his family support. He, he dropped everything that he knew and just said, I am hey, all in. Here we go, Jesus, I, I'll, I'll follow you. He asked a million questions, you know, um, and sometimes ticked off the other disciples, you know, with, with, his, with his viewpoints, you know. Um, and, but he left everything up to be able to obey Jesus' call and wanted to learn how God's kingdom worked. He was the one that jumped out of the boat, remember? Hey, Jesus, all right, can, can, I, can I do that thing that you're doing there, walking on water? I'll, I'll, I'll go for it, you know. And he jumps out, and as long as his eyes were fixed on Christ... Then he experienced a miracle. And as soon as he looked at his own ability, help, help, Jesus, I'm drowning. He was a man of great passions. He was the very first one to declare that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. He was the deliverer. He was the Messiah. And when the, in, on the night of Jesus' betrayal, he physically defended Jesus, drawing a sword and kind of haphazardly lopping off the ear of one of the high priest's servants, you know, um, and then Jesus, you know, kind of, hey, that's, that's not really how my kingdom comes to earth, Peter. Put that thing away, man. But then mere hours later on the far end of the spectrum, Peter, who is willing to give up his life and to defend his Lord, denies him three times as the rooster crows. Peter was a man of great passion. Passion is simultaneously something that we long for, and something that we're all afraid of. I mean, we, we want the rush. We want to feel the flow of our blood. We want to feel the endorphins. We want to love and we want to be loved. We long for satisfaction and fulfillment and purpose. But at the same time, 
some of us recognize that 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 has become less true because we've experienced pain. We've experienced hurt. We've had people that that have, have, we've learned risk and we've learned caution and we call it wisdom sometimes because, right, it's, 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 it's wisdom, right? Don't be, don't be too passionate. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Don't go all in. Don't go find that pearl of great price and sell everything to get it. Don't do that. But that's exactly what Jesus calls us to. And it's exactly what Peter does. It doesn't necessarily sound like wisdom. But this man, this man, Peter, he was a man of passion who, who followed another's example. He followed Jesus' example. He experienced the grace of God, and in, in this letter, 1 Peter, he's writing to the persecuted church. He's writing to, to a people who are, are in trial, who are in suffering. And at some point, in, in, as we live out godly lives, if we have the goal and if we have the purpose to live a godly life, then Jesus doesn't mince words. He says, hey, you're going to suffer persecution. Every one of you who wants to live godly is going to suffer persecution. You shouldn't be surprised. You shouldn't, it shouldn't catch you off guard. You shouldn't, oh, why is, this, why is this happening to me? It's because you're trying to live godly. And there is an enemy. At some point, we're going to experience that. But no matter what we face, no matter what decision we, we are faced with, when we stand at that fork in the road, when we, when we all right, God, am I going to make a decision that honors you, a decision that is moving towards you, or a decision that is going to give me an easy way out? Jesus has done it all for us and has given us the opportunity to overcome. And that's what, that's what Peter is going to lay out in this first section of Scripture. Look at me, with me at, at verse 18. We're going to kind of go backwards. Um, we're going to start at the, at the end of this section, verses 18 through 22, and then we're going to kind of skip to the front um, and see a little bit more uh, of what that looks like. But Jesus is our example in passion. This is the example that, that Peter is following. In verse 18, it says, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. So he went and preached to the spirits in prison and those who disobeyed God long ago when God patiently waited while Noah was building his boat. Only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. And that water is a picture of baptism which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now Christ has gone to heaven. He is seated in the place of honor next to God and all the angels and authorities and powers accept his authority. This is kind of one of the most obscure um, passages in the New Testament. This is, there's a lot of speculation on some of the things that, that, Peter, um, that Peter's talking about here. And I'm, I'm not going to give you um, a, a really super deep exegesis of this because I'm just not smart enough. And God hasn't, God hasn't given me all, uh, all of that. But, but what I do have and what I do see and what I do understand here is that Peter has heard the good news. Peter's heard the good news that there is a deliverer and he responded by following he has seen the proof in God's word, the Bible. 
He echoes um, in, in, in the gospel uh, or in Acts, in the book of Acts. Um, he, he gives this great message and he echoes the psalmist and he says, I, the Lord has said to my Lord, come and sit at my right hand. Peter knows this. God the Father is speaking to Jesus. Come and sit at my right hand. And that's what he's echoing here. Now Christ has gone to heaven. He is seated in the place of honor. He knows all authority is wrapped up in God. There is a deliverer. There is a savior. He is worthy. He is all powerful. I have to follow him. I need to follow him. I want to follow him. He walked with Christ. He ate with Christ. He fished with Christ. He walked on water with him. He loved him as best as he could, and he denied him. And after he denied him, he experienced this incredible grace of God, this incredible good news, because Jesus looked into the eyes of Peter and says, so come follow me again. It's just that easy, Peter. It's just another step. Peter, do you love me? And Peter responds, I like you. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, I think you're a pretty cool guy, Jesus. Peter, do you love me? And he asks us the same question. And as he received that grace and forgiveness, and as he responded, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He's humbled. He was humbled and he followed again. He was obedient and he was empowered by the spirit of God. And then all of a sudden something changes, something different happens in the life of Peter. And he becomes a catalyst for revolution, a catalyst for revival, a catalyst for, uh, for, for bringing the truth of God to the ears of the people that before he was so willing to hack off with a blunt object, with a blunt sword. Here he was. Now he becomes a conduit of God's grace. No longer worried about what, what people think of him, but instead speaking words of truth, being a conduit to, of God to bring healing to others. He did all of this because he recognized that Jesus Christ stood up, got up, took the punishment, took the discipline, paid the price, died, was buried, rose again, and then he experienced something that, that most of us forget about. For about 40 days after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus walked the earth. Jesus walked the earth in human form, interacting with people, interacting with his disciples, even eating food. And there he was telling his people, showing them again the life of power, the life of the Spirit. Well, Peter gives us this other example from the Old Testament of this guy, Noah. And he says, Jesus was even there in spirit in those times, speaking through Noah, speaking and proclaiming this good news. Hey, guess what? It's going to rain. And I'm building a big giant boat. And if you want, you can come on. Good news. Ah, Noah, you're a fool. <laughs> That's ridiculous. What's rain? <laughs> It, it's never rained before. What are you, you're talking about water falling from the sky? It's impossible. You're, oh, your God. Your God told you? Who, who is this God? Here, here's my God. These are the gods that I worship. These are the gods that I can see. Noah, just go away. Go, go build your ark. Go play with your giraffes. Have a good time, buddy, you know? But Jesus was preaching the good news, the gospel, deliverance, and salvation. And that is what Peter is talking about, echoing these, the life of, of Noah. And, and only eight people believed. 
only eight people said, all right, yeah, I'm all in. And through this trial that they went through, through this suffering, through this over a year-long journey of being housed in this tiny boat, tiny living quarters, they experienced the salvation and they experienced a new life. Passion can mean a lot of things. Do you know why God sent the flood? If you look back at Genesis 6 and we see what, what Peter's talking about in this, in this kind of like contrast of passions. In Genesis 6, it basically says this, that, that the people were, were corrupt. The people were completely consumed in depravity. Very specifically, the people were a people that celebrated and reveled in violence. That's a strong passion. Violence. You ever felt violent? You ever felt so angry that you were just ready to do something physically? It's scary. I've had that experience before. Conversations with my wife, it gets to the point of of elevation and all of a sudden we're we're in a yelling match and whoa, what is this? What is this passion that I feel? This is not a godly passion. Step back, buddy. (laughs) You, you You need God's spirit to control. You need God's spirit to step in. Oh, God, help me. God, humble me. God, forgive me. God, give me grace. We all feel these things. This is what was going on. There was no love at work in that culture. There was no, there was no grace. There was no peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. There was no faithfulness and no goodness. And God says, I want to offer you good news. But if you don't want to take it, then you're only asking that you have the bad news. They were destroying each other for sport. Passion can mean a lot of things. Here's, here's some definition. Ardent love or affection. Intense sexual love. A strong affection or enthusiasm for an object or a concept. Any strongly felt emotion, hate, envy, lust, greed. A state of outburst or extreme anger. The sufferings or death of a Christian martyr. But regardless of how you define passion, it's anything but passive. Passion is anything but passive. All of us have had an opportunity this past week on Valentine's Day to express some passion. How'd you do? How'd you do? It was an opportunity for all of us, I say, because for some of us, it was the celebration of Singles Awareness Day. And it was this incredible angst that we felt. That was the passion. It wasn't love. It was, I hate my culture right now. This is not good. Everybody, all the voices around me, love and birds tweeting, you know, is I just want to take out a shotgun and blow all those little birds to bits, you know. (laughs) Angst. Some of us experienced the passion and some of us, you know, uh, moved through and and kind of, you know, took the high road um, and, and said, all right, well, you know what, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not relegated to expressing my love only on a single day. I don't need to participate in Valentine's Day. And you failed. <clears throat> and you stirred up passions in someone else, right? Yeah. Any scars? Any blood? Any scabs out there? Yeah. Yeah. But this is one of those things, you know, we all have this opportunity to, to express a passion. And passion is everywhere. We, we live in, in a world of passion. It's all around us. It, it starts at a, at a very young age, you know, when we experience, you know, anger. Um, just, you know, 
the, these faces and these contortions, you know, and ah, I'm not getting my way. And some of us still act like that, you know? We, we experience pain and it causes these incredible outbursts, these raw emotions, uncontrollable tears and, and that right there. Some of us feel that way on the inside. Some of us express it on the outside. Some of us, we have an opportunity to, to give unconditional love. Step outside of ourselves. We step outside of, of, of cultural expectations um, and, and social norms. And we say, my job as a follower of Christ is just simply to love, period. That's it. I want to embrace and love the people around me. We have an opportunity to defend ourselves. We have an opportunity to, to get on Facebook and to, and to make sure everybody knows just how right I am and just how wrong all those other people are. But it never works. Because when we defend ourselves, we only look like fools. When we defend ourselves, what we are basically saying is, God, I don't need you. I'm perfectly fine taking care of myself. There's a lot of great stories of faith that revolve around that. And we have an opportunity in our passions to create, to mold and shape with our hands and with our love the lives of the, of the people around us, the shape of what the world looks like, and to be able to create and to, and to mold and to bring forth newness. But when we talk about passion, we really want to talk about something very specific because it's beyond just kind of like a physical response or an emotional response or uh, some kind of a chemical reaction that goes on in, in our brain. It goes beyond our ever-changing circumstances. It goes beyond our finite and rational understanding. When we talk about passion, we really want to talk about the full expression of who God has created us to be. And, and we're going to miss the point if we don't talk about our passion for God, our love for God, our embracing of the grace of God. If we live, don't live out lives that, that flow out of our love for God and to our fellow man. And this is where, this is where Peter kind of kicks it in to high gear. We're going to look at a, a section of scripture here. And what I don't want you to hear is a list because you can't do this. This is not something that, that you and I can fulfill. This is not something that we can achieve. This is not some mark of perfection that, all right, you know, yep, did that and did that and did that and now God, now God has to love me. You know, God loves us and he wants us to respond to his love and he wants us to let him live the life of Christ through us so that we are able to do these things. Oddly enough, Peter's about halfway through his letter and he uses the word like any good pastor does. Finally, verse eight, finally, all of you should be of one mind. All of you should be of one mind. There's so much grace in that word should, isn't there? Be of one mind. No, Here, here's, here's what should happen if you live a life following the Spirit. Here's what should happen. This, this is how you can judge yourself instead of judging others. This is how we should judge ourselves. This is what should happen. You should be of one mind. You should sympathize with each other, bear with each other, and understand each other's weakness. As Pastor Mark teaches us so often and so well, make allowance for other people's faults. 
love each other as brothers and sisters. This is where we get our word, uh, the name of the city, Philadelphia. It's this word, Philadelphos. It means brotherly love. There's no sexual connotation. So when we gather as a church, we're not, it's not a meat market. It's not, we're not looking for our future spouse. We're coming to be the the body of Christ. We're coming to, to grow together and to love each other and with a pure brotherly love, non-sexual, friendly, honoring, peaceful love. Be tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will bless you for it. God has called us to know him, not only just to know him, but to share him and to be able to reflect him and to be like him. And so what Peter's saying is, is this is what your life should look like. When somebody does something wrong against you, you should not repay in your deeds with another wrong action. When someone slanders you, when someone says something wrong against you, you should not talk back bad about them. That is not reflecting your deliverer, your savior. He's given you freedom so you don't have to live that way. You're not in bondage to that way. In verse 10, for the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. Too often we read these kinds of instructions and and we go, all right, well, you know, I am not courteous, so, man, I'm a horrible Christian. I am not peaceful. When somebody does something wrong against me, I figure out what I can do to get them back and maybe just a little bit more so that they learn you don't mess with me. Don't hear that guilt and don't hear that shame. Hear that as conviction. Hear that as instruction. Hear that as wisdom to say, there's something better. There's something best. There's a way out. There's a way out of that temptation and out of that frustration. Hear that what happens when you experience those things is an opportunity for you to receive and to share the grace of God. That when you deny Christ by not reflecting him, that Jesus is still standing there saying, I want to forgive you and I want to give you the power to change that so that you don't have to be like that. This is the freedom that we'll live in. And this is the opportunity that we have as Christians and more. Peter kind of closes out verses 13 through 17. This is what we're going to end with. And this is radical passion. This is, this is the next level. This is, this is the reality of, of our faith. This is what God calls us to. And regardless of where you're at right now, this is something that all of us have to grow into. All of us have to embrace because we are to be like him. He became like us so that we could become like him. And this is what he did. Verses 13, it says, Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. 
but do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then, if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good if that is what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. Christ suffered for us. We're called to suffer for him if that's what God wants. And in those times, being able to focus on, all right, God, my passion needs to be on what it is that you want to do through me. The passion that Peter found and experienced and lived with and and, and eventually died for was the truth that nothing, absolutely nothing that this world has to offer is comparable to relationship with God. There was a time when Peter failed and lived in his shame and guilt, but then he surrendered his life to Christ. And he said, God, I want you to live through me. And he lived a life that no one could take away from him. He heard the words of Jesus, if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. And he believed it and he acted on it. As we process through some of these kinds of things, you know, as we ask the question of, of passion and, and what that is, there's some great, great questions that we should really be asking ourselves. All right, Dan, are, are, are you the centerpiece of your own narrative? Is the moral of your story that you're a good person? Is the moral of your story that you are viewed by other people as successful? What's, are you the centerpiece of your own narrative? Here's another way to say it. What are you passionate about? Where do you go on your online banking? Where do you spend your money? What are you passionate about? Where do you spend your time? What, what consumes your thoughts? Where do you spend your mind time? What are you passionate about? And for us, a, a great single verse to kind of help us refocus that and to hone in on what our true purpose is right there in verse 15. Instead, instead of those things, instead you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. Always be ready to tell somebody about this hope. This is passion. Giving everything to God is an act of worship because we love him because he first loved us. As the band comes back up, we're, they're gonna lead us in a song or two and just kind of see, see where we're going and, and, and see how, how God wants to lead us in these next several minutes. But what I want you to do is, is we're gonna sing about God's love. Oh, how he loves us. But I don't want you to just sit there as a recipient. I want you to receive it. Thank you, God, for your grace. And then I want you to ask God that hard, that hard question. God, all right, God, what am I passionate about? Where does my life revolve? Not around worship and not around you, but where does it revolve? Just a little too much around me. And where do I take for granted your love and not respond to your love? We're going to sing of God's love. But our goal here is is to have pure hearts and to be honest with ourselves and say, all right, God, where are you leading? Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy. Thank you for your truth. We thank you that we have passions, that life is not a flat line, that, that life gets to be a thrill of a roller coaster and you're right there in the front seat with us with your arms raised You are our God and we are your people. 
Lord, I pray that you would just draw us more and more to you in these moments. As we sing, as we, as we raise our voices, Lord, that you would fill us with a passion, fill us with the understanding of your grace and your mercy. God, help us to love you. In Jesus' name. Thank <laughs> you.